How many of you have been feeling like you've been stuck in the waiting room now for a little while? I, I'm hearing people say that all the time. That seems to be the analogy that everybody's going with. I've seen some memes on that, even some pastors preaching on that subject. And I was thinking, man, it does feel like a waiting room, doesn't it? I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll preach on uh, being in God's waiting room because sometimes God does put you in the waiting room and sometimes it's just a matter of waiting on God before the next thing. And the more I thought about that, I thought, you know what? It's really apples and oranges from our situation right now. We're not really in God's waiting room. I want you to think about it this way. Let's just say you're driving down the road and you got somewhere to be and you're on your way there. And all of a sudden you hear a big clunk and a grinding noise and a big red light comes on in your dashboard and you realize, uh-oh, this is serious. I'm in some kind of trouble here. And you look to your right and there it is, a mechanic shop. So you're just so blessed that you break down right in front of a mechanic shop. So you turn in, your car dies right as you get into the mechanic shop. You walk into the office and you tell the guy, look, it's making a noise. It broke down. He says, well, I'll get to it, but it's going to take a couple of hours. So you go into the beautiful mechanic shop waiting room. We've all been in these waiting rooms. They're stunning. They're beautifully decorated, right? Interior designer was hired to do this. Not the mechanic shops I go to. The mechanic shops I go to, the waiting rooms are dingy and disgusting, and they look like they haven't been cleaned since 1957. And so you sit down in the waiting room, and you realize you're going to have to kill two or three hours here easy. And so you got a choice. What am I going to do while I'm in this waiting room? Well, there's really two things you can do. The first is you could sit there and be bored and be frustrated. You could, you could, you know, look on the little black and white TV that they set up on the file cabinet in there, and you could watch an old episode of Jerry Springer. You could uh, play games on your phone. You notice there's some magazines. You go, oh, that's what I'll do. You pick up a 1996 copy of People magazine. It's got uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman on the cover. It says, uh, Hollywood marriage made in heaven. And you, you open it up, start thumbing through it. There's a story about the Ellen show, most popular show on television, and whether or not the character on the Ellen sitcom is gay. Is she going to come out? Is she not going to come out? And the whole world is on, uh, holding on to find that out. But you know there's no way that character could be gay because it's television, right? They would never put that on television. It's 1996. And then you notice there's an article about this new thing called the interweb. But it says, you know, it's never going to catch on because nobody can afford this. That's what you can do if you're in the waiting room. You can make the most of it by just enduring, right? That's choice number one. Choice number two is this. You could see your time in that waiting room as a gift. You could see it as an opportunity from God. A break in your day that you otherwise wouldn't have. A break in your week that you otherwise would not make time for. And there are so many things you could do. I know this is going to sound crazy, but imagine this. You're in that dirty, dingy waiting room, and you notice that across the street, there's a uh, drugstore. So you walk across to the drugstore, and you buy a sponge and a couple of cleaning products, and you come back and you say to the manager, would you mind if I do some cleaning up in here? And you clean their waiting room for them. Or let's say you notice there's three guys working in the back and it's lunchtime and you offer to buy them lunch. You walk down the street to McDonald's, you come back and you buy lunch for everybody 
that's there working in the shop. You could catch up on your phone calls, call and encourage some people that you need to encourage. Talk to those people that you always think, oh, I should call so-and-so, but you never really have time because after all, you can't just call for a minute. It's going to have to be a while. Well, now you've got a while. You could strike up a conversation with somebody who comes in to the waiting room and who knows, you might make a friend. You might even say, is there anything I could pray for you for? Who knows, you might make an eternal impact. So those are your two options. You can sit, be bored, and be frustrated, or you can actually do something with the time. Now, at the end, you've still had to wait three hours. You finally got your car. It cost you a bunch of money. But let me ask you, which of those two people had a better day? The one watching the Jerry Springer show or the one who actually made a difference during the three hours that God gave them? I had a big break in my schedule a few years back. Um, I ended up in the hospital for open heart surgery. Uh, and I, you know, you wake up after open heart surgery and you're going to be there for several days. And man, if you've ever been there, and most of you have, being in the hospital every 24 hours takes about three weeks to pass. And it just goes on and on and on. And, and when you're sick, I mean really sick, when you're really hurting, I mean, they had sawed my chest in half, right? So I was seriously hurting. And I was medicated and I was sleeping a lot, but I was going to be there for days. And I thought, well, this is my break. This is my rest. But you know what? God had other plans. I would say that that week that I was in the hospital was the most effective evangelism and ministry week I had had in months. God kept bringing nurses to me, um, you know, physical therapists, uh, people from the office of the, talking about the billing. And it seemed like every one of those people was open when I started asking them about their lives and they started sharing with me. I became a counselor in that hospital. It was like a constant stream of medical workers coming into my room. I was sharing Jesus with people. I was helping people with their issues. I was directing them to find a church in their community. It was the most incredible thing. It was like every day I was just praising God that he gave me this opportunity. I cannot imagine what impact those days in the hospital made in the lives of many people. But I'm trusting that instead of just seeing that as a miserable break that I didn't want and using it for God's glory, God changed the world through that. See, I felt when I went into the hospital like it was going to be a week on the bench. But the truth is, God was putting me right in the game. And I didn't realize it. You know, there's a very, very well-known story in Scripture that's similar to this. Uh, it's in the book of Genesis. If you've got your Bible, you're going to want to open it, Genesis chapter 39. And it's a well-known story, and I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but I would love for you to think about it with me a little bit this morning, because there's this guy, Joseph, right? And Joseph is the uh, favored child in a wealthy family. He is about 17 years old. He's got his life laid out for him. He has plans. He's got dreams. He knows he's going to be somebody important. He knows he's going to be doing something great. And of course, as you probably know, he's living the good life. He's got this great future. And suddenly he's got trouble with his brothers. And his brothers decide that they're going to get rid of him. He ends up being sold into slavery and taken to Egypt. He's 17 years old. You know what? His plans changed on a dime. He missed his high school graduation. And he ends up in Egypt. And he's sold to a guy named Potiphar who works for the king. 
And he's in Potiphar's house. And while he's in Potiphar's house, some interesting things happen. Join me. Genesis 39, beginning in verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Let's just stop there. He's a slave. Somebody bought him. He's been taken from his family, from his homeland. He's now in a foreign land working as a slave. And it says he was a successful man. Joseph was successful right in the midst of that situation. He prospered. He was successful. Don't miss the uh, statement there in verse 2. It begins with these words. The Lord was with Joseph. See, circumstances can change on us. Things around us in our lives can cave in on us in ways we never expected. The question is not what's happening around you. The question is who's with you. The Lord was with Joseph. And therefore, even while a slave, he became a successful man. In fact, he rose up in, in the ranks of Potiphar's house to where he was in charge of everything that Potiphar had. But as you probably know, he had a problem with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife was throwing herself at him and he refused to go with her and that got him in trouble. She said that he tried to attack her. He was then taken into custody. Things that were outside of his control were happening to him. He had done nothing wrong. He had done everything right. He had a plan. He was prospering. He was successful. And all of a sudden, everything caved in on him. He ends up in jail. Because when you're accused of trying to sexually assault the captain of the bodyguard's wife, you don't get a trial with a jury of your peers. You just get thrown into the dungeon. And that's exactly where Joseph found himself. I mean, just imagine that. He's, he, he's, he had this bad uh, turn of events. He made the most of it. God was with him. God blessed him. And he became prosperous and successful even where he was. And now it's all come crashing down. Now he finds himself surrounded by four walls and he can't go outside. Now he finds himself with his freedoms limited in ways he never dreamed they would be limited. Now he finds himself having to put his dreams on hold, wondering if this is going to be the way it is for the rest of his life or not, and having really no indication that it's ever going to change. He's probably going to die in there. Imagine what must have been going through his mind? I'm sure he must have had the but I thought idea over and over again. I thought God had a plan for me. I thought my life was going to be meaningful. I thought this was going to be a great season for me. I thought I had paid my dues. I thought, I thought, I thought. But it wasn't going the way he thought. You know what it turns out? When you read Joseph's whole story, which is a long story in the book of Genesis, when you read Joseph's whole story, you will find this is the turning point. This is the key season in Joseph's life. The season when he's stuck inside of four walls. The season when his freedom is limited. The freedom when he can't, I mean the season when he cannot pursue his dreams. Turns out to be the most pivotal season of Joseph's life. And I want you to notice, let's go to verse 20 in chapter 39. 
So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him to prosper. Whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. I want you to notice in those four verses we just read, twice it says the same thing. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Well, this is twice now. It's been going well. And then something changes. And in chapter 40, what happens in this well-known story is that two of Pharaoh's officials are thrown into jail because they've been accused of something and they're awaiting their hearings. And they've been thrown into jail where Joseph meets them. One is the baker. He's, he's basically, just picture, he's the, he's the head chef, the executive chef at the White House. Okay, This is the guy who runs all of the food issues for Pharaoh in his house. And he's been accused of something. And Pharaoh's not sure he can trust him. And he throws him into jail. And the other one is the cupbearer or the butler to the king. Imagine uh, the valet to the president of the United States. He's with him at all times. He, he's there to serve him. He's there to take care of him. He's the one that you have to get through if you want to see him. He's one of his most trusted officials. And he too has been accused of something. And he's awaiting his hearing. Joseph meets these guys, and he ministers to them. He meets them where they're at. And that seemingly unimportant season of ministry literally changes the world. Remember, he interpreted their dreams, and they remembered him. And that became the opportunity for him to go and serve Pharaoh. And he ultimately saved millions of people because of his role in the government. I encourage you to read the rest of the story there in Genesis. He had the ability to interpret dreams. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, if I had Joseph's gifts, maybe I could do things like Joseph did, but I don't have Joseph's gifts. You know what you have? You have exactly the gifts that God has chosen to give you. The God who knew in advance that this season of your life was coming. The God who prepared beforehand things for you to walk in. We've talked about this so many times. It's one of my favorite principles from Scripture. You and I are custom designed. We're custom made. God designed us with a plan in mind, right? Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to go to the New Testament. Go to the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we get a little glimpse of this. Galatians and then Ephesians. I'll give you a chance to get there. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing. And here's what he says. For we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Think about that. The all-knowing God prepared beforehand a plan for your life in this season. 
We had no idea this was coming. Governments around the world were caught by surprise. The medical system was not prepared for this. Our, our economy is not handling this well. We, in many cases, don't know what to do or how to respond. But God was not at all surprised by the season that we find ourselves in. And when he designed you, the experiences he's given you, the personality he's assigned to you, the gifts he's given you spiritually, the opportunities and knowledge and wisdom and understanding that you have, all of those things are God's design in your life. And he designed you knowing this time was coming and having a plan for you in this time. You are custom made for just such a time as this. God's not surprised by this season. He has a plan for you. Well, you say, okay, that's one example. Joseph, you know, he, he was chosen by God. He's unusual. You know what? I don't think so. I mean, all through the Bible, we see this, um, this scenario repeated again and again. The Bible is filled with examples of this. Paul he was in prison most of his ministry career. He was in prison. Same thing. Four walls. Limited freedom. Can't go outside. Chained up. Completely limited. And what did he do? Well, you know, while he was in prison, he wrote about a third of the New Testament. While he was in prison, he launched churches from his prison cell. While he was in prison, he led jailers and Roman guards to Christ. While he was in prison, he made disciples of people like Timothy and Epaphroditus and Barnabas and, and others like that. He preached to world leaders while he was in prison. Paul changed the world from his prison cell. Well, let me correct that. God changed the world through Paul while Paul was in a prison cell. Think about the early disciples. Jesus has risen from the dead. It's the week after Easter, right? Can you imagine the week after Easter? It's the week after Easter, and Jesus is telling them, you're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. He's telling them about the ministry they're going to have. And then he says, here's what you do. Go to Jerusalem, go to the upper room, and wait. So they went, 120 of them, and they waited and what happened? They prayed. They studied the scripture. They ministered to one another. And the Holy Spirit did amazing things. And the church was launched. You know, Moses led the children of Israel basically in circles for 40 years. 40 years in the wilderness. God said, I'm going to take you out of slavery and into the promised land. 40 years in the wilderness. What happened in Moses' life during those 40 years. Well, for starters, he got the law from God. He wrote the first five books of the Bible during those 40 years. He had an audience of over a million that he could preach to and minister to and lead and care for during those 40 years. During those 40 years in the wilderness, Moses standardized worship for the Old Testament believers through the ages. And you know what else he did? And don't let this be lost on you. Moses mentored the people who would be the leaders 
who came after him. Man, I've thought a lot about this lately. I know you might have to do meetings on Zoom or FaceTime or Google Meets or whatever it is you're using. But you know what? I've been spending great time with my grandkids during this time. They live over a thousand miles away. Doesn't matter. Still my job to disciple my grandkids. Still my job to minister to my children. It's still my job to care for my neighbors. See, there's at least two things you can be sure God wants to do with you during this season. It's an unusual season. But don't be calling it a season of trial. Don't be calling it a season of difficulty. Listen, I don't want to in any way minimize the difficulty that is happening during this season. COVID-19 is no joke. Most of us now have lost loved ones. There are people all over the world dying from this. I'm not minimizing this at all. I just want to say Romans 8.28 is still true. God causes all things, even things like this, to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Don't let this be a wasted season. This is a season of opportunity. So what can you do during this unusual season? I can promise you this. God wants to do something in you during this season. God wants to do something in you. Now, it's different for every one of us because we're all in different places and the Lord is bringing us along as we grow in him. But you know what? The Lord wants to build his relationship with you during this season. And some of you now have more time on your hands than you've ever had before. Opportunities to grow like you've never had before. God wants to do something in you during this season. God wants to teach you something during this season. It might come directly from his word. It might come from the experience that you're having. It might come from the wise words of somebody else. God wants to teach you something. And whenever you've been taught something, you'll never be the same again. God wants to grow your relationship with him during this season. You know, um, years ago, Bill Hybels wrote a book and the title was great, Too Busy Not to Pray. Because so often, we think, man, I'm just too busy to pray. I can't seem to find time to pray. I'm just too busy to pray. And Hybels was making the argument that the busier you are, the more you need to pray. Well, guess what? Some of you are busier now than you've ever been because of the change of things has forced you to do things differently and you're busier than you've ever been. I'm telling you, you're too busy not to pray. Some of you have more time on your hands than you've ever had before. And I'm telling you, this is your opportunity to pray. Some of you are spending more time with your kids than you ever have before, and you're loving moments of it. And in other moments, you're thinking, hmm, should we have really had this many kids? I'm telling you, this is an opportunity for you to pray. God wants to do something to increase your faith during this season of opportunity. This is an opportunity for you. God wants to do something in you. That's number one. Number two is this. God wants to do something through you. And I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are. This is true. God wants to do something through you. You are strategically placed. You have been strategically prepared. God has a plan for this season of your life. And he wants to do something through you. He wants to use you to minister to your family. I have been so blessed during this season as members of my family have ministered to me in ways that we normally don't experience together. It's been awesome. Maybe God wants to use you to contact people 
who you know are in need of a call. They're in need of a friend. They're in need of someone to pray with, someone to cry with, someone to listen to. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to give financially. Support someone who's in need. Support a ministry that you think needs to be supported. I mean, there are some of us who are losing our jobs. People have been furloughed and people aren't getting paychecks now. There are others of us who are still getting our full paychecks and we're getting checks from the government. Maybe God is blessing you financially because he wants to do something through you financially. Maybe he wants you to encourage the, the weary. Maybe God wants to use you to write. I know so many of us have said, man, I just feel like I want to write sometime. I want to write poetry. I want to write songs. I want to write a book. I want to write. You know what? Maybe no one will ever read it, or maybe it'll change the world. Maybe you should take time to write. Maybe you should be praying for others. Maybe you could do what some of you are already doing. Make masks. Uh, organize fundraisers. Do things to support those uh, first responders and medical people who are trying to care for us. This is not a season of waiting for you. You are not on the bench. You're in the game. This is a season of doing. And I was thinking about that. And uh, what I have here are two identical Diet Pepsi cans. They're, they're completely identical. They came out of the same 12-pack, okay? I bought them myself, brought them here today from my house. They're two identical Diet Pepsi cans. Now look, I can put all kinds of pressure on this can, squeeze it and push it. I can do all these things, and it is holding up just fine. This same can, it looks exactly like it, but look what happens when I put pressure on it. They're the same can. What's the difference between this can and this can? This one is filled. This one is empty. Guys, it's what's on the inside that counts. Circumstances change. Some of you are enduring hardships the likes of which you've never faced. Others of you are enjoying blessings the likes of which you've never had. Circumstances change, but we all face pressure. When you face that pressure, how you hold up is not going to be determined by what you look like on the outside. It's going to be determined by what's true of you on the inside. So what's true of you on the inside? Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you enjoying the fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about with the Grace Kids? Are you finding that Jesus is pouring through you and touching the lives of other people? Are you finding yourself in a barren place? Are you finding yourself trying to do things on your own strength and your own power? It's never going to happen. It's never going to work. It's what's on the inside that counts. More accurately... It's who is on the inside that counts. Who's on the inside of you? Do you really think that the God who saved you, the God who sent his spirit to empower you, sees this as a season in a waiting room for you? I don't think so. I think God wants to change you. And I think God wants to change the world through you.
don't wait for someday when things are better, when things are different. God used Joseph to change the world when he was in a pit, when he was in slavery, when he was in prison, when he was in a palace. God can use you during this incredible season of opportunity. Let's pray together. God, we're so grateful for your faithfulness and your goodness. We're so grateful that you have not left us. We're so grateful that you offer us opportunity for grace and power to flow through our lives. Thank you, God, that you flow into our lives in the person of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that your word transforms our hearts. And now, God, pour out through us. Show us opportunities, God. Show us what we were designed for in this season. Don't let us sit on the bench. Use us to change the world. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.